You're listening to the Nashville Labrie Conference podcast. In July of 2019, there was a weekend gathering in Nashville with lectures, workshops, conversations, and meals together. The theme of the conference was being human in a fragmenting world. Each episode of this podcast is one of the lectures or workshops from that conference. To receive email updates about the podcast, including lecture handouts, articles, and books referenced in the lecture, please subscribe for updates at NashvilleLabrieConference.com. Today's episode features Dick Kyes. Dick and his wife Marty have served at the Labrie branches in Switzerland, England, and Southborough. The lecture today is about early peacemaking. Can conflict be outmaneuvered before it starts? Can conflict be outmaneuvered before it starts? Early peacemaking. I uh, hope that's what you've come for, because that's, what that's what's happening here. Um, I thought with the theme of fragmentation, we ought to deal with directly, or pretty, pretty directly, with interpersonal conflict. Uh, and this isn't just interpersonal disagreement, but it's really uh, frustration leading to strife, hard-feeling quarrel, controversy, discord, these kinds of words. Uh, A a Christian way of life stands against conflict because God is the God of peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Its future fulfillment is characterized by beating swords into plowshares and and, uh, studying war no more. The lion lying down with the lamb. Um, Every New Testament letter includes at least one command for peace. Some New Testament letters, more than half the letter is taken up as an argument to, for peace, or what, not an argument, but a, a plea and a, uh, a strategy for making peace. Uh, Jesus called us to be peacemakers in a world that is broken. It is not enough to be a peace lover. You can look at conflict from a distance and say, oh, I wish it was more peaceful. Uh, That's not enough. We're meant to be engaged and and to pursue peace, to work to make peace where peace isn't happening. Now, given our view of the fall, conflict will happen, uh, given the fallen world. But what's not given and not fixed is how much and how often conflict will happen or how you will deal with it when it does happen. Uh, But I thought rather than going straight into conflict, which I'm not going to really deal with this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is, I'm getting mixed up already. Uh, Just to say, I think the Bible has three fascinating ways of, of, of tools to deal with conflict, which I'm not going to talk about this really at all, but confession, forgiveness, and reproof are tools that if we know how to use them, we understand them biblically, we can deal with anything, any conflict. There's some some move we can make on the board. But all that is reactive to conflict already happening. And I want to just go on and say that the Bible is also more proactive uh, things to do before conflict uh, flares up. Um, 
there's, there's ways that we can minimize it, ways we can head it off. Um, but we can never be conflict-free. We mustn't resign ourselves to conflict as if it happens as independently of us as the weather. <clears throat> I guess the overall theme, if you wanted a scripture reference here, that what we're working with is Romans 12, 18, which is, if it is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Uh, a very... I'm very thankful for this condition insofar as it's possible to you and the Bible is always uh, it's dealing with the fall it's dealing with the reality of the fall that we live in in our space uh, at each point you don't have complete control of all your social relationships insofar as it depends on you strive for peace that you can uh, can work toward I'll start pretty generally get a little bit more specific um, the world talks about having social skills to deal with such things as conflicts and so on. Uh, interpersonal skills. I really don't like those terms because I think what the Bible is dealing with is something much, much deeper, uh, which is uh, ultimate life commitments, moral obligations, and questions of character. That's what really will make a difference in terms of conflict. It's, skills are much too trivial to deal with, or the idea of skills that comes in our mind anyway, that comes in my mind. Is, is too trivial to, to cope with what, what the Bible is really getting at. Um, starting out uh, with attitudes and values to avoid conflict. This is big picture, um, homing down, getting closer to conflict itself as we go on. <clears throat> One, uh, idols are dangerous. Idols bring conflict. Our final, final loyalty must be to God, not to counterfeits of God. Uh, things that God has made, but which, which we inflate to be idols. The logic is very clear. Idols always end up demanding sacrifices. Sacrifices almost always end up being sacrifices of people. And if it's your ideal, if it's your idol, it's usually not you. It's usually sacrifices paid by someone else. But then it, it involves you too. Idols are served with other people who are usually uh, paying the cost. Disrespected, used, walked over, exploited, whatever, uh, for whatever is above God in your loyalties. Think of money as an idol, and think of money as a generator of conflict. Um, as a, a God substitutes, a giver of meaning, it's a source of identity, we get security and comfort. From it, it's meant to wipe away every tear from your eyes uh, in the promises given uh, around the world. Uh, to think, of, think of some of the ways that money as God causes conflict between people. It is a zero-sum reality. What I have, you don't have. What you have, I don't have. Um, what I can take from you, you don't have anymore, and I do have uh, for myself. Think of the greed behind the corruption that is so much a part of modern life. And so much of it I think people don't even realize because it's corruption is usually within an institution, something bigger than we are. We can't look at anybody's face that we're cheating. We're cheating a bigger organization, the government, easiest of all, because that's so big it doesn't feel it. Uh, and uh, the, the, the logic is, is, uh, um, is easy for us to pursue. I remember talking to someone I knew in London who, had, who was waiting trial for embezzling $2 million. And she said it was, you would not believe how easy it was to do. 
I mean, I want God. But in the sense of incrementally, a little bit at a time. Not, she wasn't stealing anything, but a little bit at a time, one thing led to another, another, another. And, and she was too many bucks that she couldn't get out of. Um, but, but corruption is so huge in our country and around the world. First um, Timothy First uh, Timothy 6, 9 to 10 But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Uh, the words ruin and destruction and pierce themselves with many pains. This is just being very, very practical here as a result of the love of money, which is interesting phrase, the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it's not saying it is the most basic source of all evil. All evil comes from love of money. But what it is saying is that with the love of money, you will, because of that, chase anything that you would never have chased otherwise. You will chase any evil with its root of that quest, uh, being the love of money. Uh, it will lead you to all kinds of evil that you would not otherwise have dreamed of pursuing. Uh, but money can do that. <coughs> so, many things, so many kinds of evil threaten to destroy people uh, for that reason, just to cause conflict with them over money. Uh, think of how many well-functioning families are really blown to pieces in conflict when they divide somebody's a parent or grandparent's estate. You probably know uh, examples of families just torn to shreds in real hostility that have otherwise gone, uh, gone, gone on uh, quite well. Money can be an unmitigated curse absolute curse when we think of the value of relationships that get trashed uh, by it. Uh, look, at the, look at European history, the succession of kings and over money and power, absolute bloodbaths, not just for the, fam- the royal family, the whole blasted country is often thrown into but in English history, the bloodbaths, hundreds of years uh, going with War of the Roses, on and on and on, the Tudors, uh, and, and, and just battles and battles and battles because of the money and power at stake there. And the whole nation suffers. Hundreds and hundreds of people killed. Um, for Christians, some of the most dangerous idols are things that are themselves positive virtues and values. Uh, things that are good in themselves, but we turn them into idols by valuing them more than we value God. There's a, an intriguing Greek word uh, that's used a number of times in the New Testament. It's called epithumia. Thumia. Uh, it, it's also often translated evil desires, which is not really a very good translation because you think it's desiring something evil. Okay? It isn't. It's usually desiring something good much too much more than you desire God. And so it becomes evil even though the good thing that you are after is uh, uh, was it's with itself good. You will crush it under the weight of your expectations of it. You want something that's good but you want it more than you want God and you will destroy it under the weight of your expectations. And it will ruin the very thing you desire and love and you in the process. That's why it's called evil desire. Examples. Children are a wonderful gift. How, what more wonderful gift in a way than children. But what happens when a child or children and their success becomes an idol to the parent? More important than it ought to be. More important even maybe than God. 
to the parent. What happens when Johnny doesn't get the best part in the play or the best position on the soccer team when he's obviously the best player and obviously the best actor? Uh, what do you do? What, what happens? Uh, you, you, you complain and you revolt and you get conflict. You get parental brawls. We specialize this in New England or in youth hockey. Uh, hockey is a big deal in New England. And when you have kids who are not given the place on the team, or there's a story of a few years ago of an umpire that was attacked by a parent and actually killed after a youth hockey game. Kids 10 years old, right? How serious can you get? The kid's 10 years old, and this guy kills the ref. He didn't intend to kill him, but he hit him hard enough, beat up on him, and he died. And again, this is because this is he loved his child, right? I'm sure he loved his son. Uh, but it happens over, over grades, achievements, class rank in schools, battles of teachers fighting. Uh, our teachers could, almost all teachers could give horror stories, list of horror stories. Uh, work is a good gift. Work is wonderful. It's a gift of God. It's a good thing. It's a command of God. Uh, we're to work to the glory of God in his service. But when work becomes an idol, what is sacrificed? Uh, is your health, any or all your relationships, all sorts of responsibilities to other people. Think of marriage conflicts over abandonment coming to someone who is a workaholic, or abandonment of the church and church responsibilities, or of children, because work has become a God. Work is a good thing. Work is a very good thing, a gift of God, but you put it in God's place and you get uh, destruction. Sex, a wonderful gift of God. But when sex becomes an idol, God substitute people get, get used, get hurt, get abandoned, and the conflict which takes an intimate and therefore absolutely vicious form, our forms, uh, when, when, as an idolatry of sex. Even within marriage, um, it can be huge um, uh, suffering as a result. Um, another biblical references in James 4, 1 to 3, those conflicts and disputes among you, where they do come, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder, and you covet something you cannot cannot obtain, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have it because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your on your pleasures. Where do conflicts come from? Inner attitudes demands idols of coveting, serving your own pleasures. They come because of not putting God first in your life, uh, below, putting God below all sorts of other desires. Do not, idols do not lead you to love your neighbor. Idols and love are, are idols will never lead you into real love, maybe apparent uh, uh, pseudo-love, but ne- never lead you into real love. Um, and that's our next heading is the centrality of love. Uh, two points to be made here. First, that most central and important command of God is to love him and each other. Second, love is one of the most important all, for this second in terms of this, this talk, uh, one of the most important all-inclusive means of avoiding, preventing, and defusing conflict if it is possible for you to avoid and avoid it. Love is the way that goes, or the, the, that the, is the way there. Look at the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. The second 
was sharpened and made even more searching by Jesus uh, in the New Testament, uh, who gave a new commandment, which is not to, to, to just love your neighbor, but to love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's ramping up the, the requirement for love. Love another as, as he has loved us, meaning more than himself, giving his life up for us. Um, we're also told by John that we fool ourselves if we think we love God whom we can't see, but we don't love our neighbor who we can't see, our brothers and sisters around us. Um, his love is caring one for another, serving one for another, giving to each other, sacrificial giving as Jesus loves us. Um, think of Paul uh, in describing the mind of Christ. Each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Uh, we're meant to live this out, not just to impress other people, but before God, in the presence of God, because God hears and sees everything. I love uh, a little verse in Leviticus 19, uh, verse 14. It says, do not curse the deaf. Do not curse the deaf. Uh, why not? They can't hear. Why not curse the deaf? What's the deal? Uh, well, it's because God hears. And if we fear God, and if we curse the deaf, God is mightily ticked off. And so, never mind if someone doesn't hear. It doesn't matter so much if people, but God is really ticked off if we curse the deaf. I love that. It means so much about where we stand before God and what matters. is isn't sort of the, the count people take of our, of our righteousness. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that without love you can have spectacular religious experiences prophecy, wonders, give away all your possessions, even become a martyr that's by the way pretty impressive in terms of Christian achievement, behavior and so on Uh, but if you're without love you are nothing, you gain nothing you just make noise Uh, this is like spiritually it's like multiplying by zero in mathematics you can just have extraordinary achievements, though, but if, you're, if, if it's without love, zero. Uh, but if you do love, you have the best possible strategy to avoid conflict. I think I have this on a slide, too. Yeah. Later on in that same um, chapter... Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Think of what love refuses to do. Each of these, uh, each of those things either invite conflict or already intrinsically in the middle of conflict. Uh, On the other hand, what love does do is to resist conflict. It bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. I love that uh, passage because it's... um, It it, uh, bears, believes, hopes, and endures. Uh, It dares to believe and to hope that means you have you allow yourself the expectations to hope someone can change, to hope someone can be different. You allow yourself to, to invest in their future and to believe in their future. In the same blasted verse, it says, 
bears and endures all things, which means your hopes will not always be lived out, will not always be filled. It may, so you're asked to, asked to hope, to believe, and yet be prepared for some of those hopes to be dashed, to, be, to have to bear. That's all right there tied in what, what, is it, what is in love itself. It's all tied up in love. Uh, and and that, that to me is, again, the wonder of the Bible as, as something that's written into our world, into our busted, bent, broken, screwed up world. This is just this is where God confronts us and wants us to change and wants us to grow. But it's not, it's not written into an angel's world. It's not written to angels. It's written to us, broken and bent as we are, to our not living, listing false expectations for us. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love. That all the other parts of it are inseparable for love. You try and separate out these things, like you separate out the Beatitudes, and you get a hopeless problem. Uh, none of them hold up if you remove one of them from the whole. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. It's hard to imagine a list of virtues which would so protect you from unnecessary conflict. Hard to believe. Think of how they protect you from unnecessary conflict. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's a huge step in toward, toward preparing for not for, for, for difficulty to come up or for conflict not to happen. <clears throat> humility. Uh, humility is a virtue that we need before God. We need it to become a Christian at all. That is, we need to come to God with empty hands and ask for forgiveness. Uh, and mercy to be a Christian at all. Uh, we need to know and accept that we are creatures of God, dependent on God, that we need His mercy, we need His forgiveness. Without this, this acknowledgement, you can't really even be a Christian. But humility is not just something we need at the moment of our own conversion. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's what is what a call. It's what's called for throughout our life to have the mind of Christ who did not count his own equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he descended to become a human being and even descend on the cross, is the mind that we're meant to have in ourselves. Uh, I'll give you three descriptions of, of humility from interesting people. Uh, this is Flannery O'Connor. To know oneself is above all to know that what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against truth and not the other way around. The first product of self-knowledge is humility. Interesting. C.S. Lewis. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. And thirdly, Iris Murdoch, the British philosopher and novelist, uh, Humility is not a peculiar habit of self-effacement, rather like having an inaudible voice. It's selfless respect for reality, and one of the most difficult and central of virtues. Let me read that one again. Humility is not a peculiar habit of self-effacement, rather like having an inaudible voice. It's selfless respect for reality, and one of the most difficult and central of virtues. You see how humility can impact us on our, in our conflicts. The greater our humility, the more our pride will be pushed out of the way. Our pride gets in the way. 
Our ego gets in the way of all kinds of relationships. When you want something to develop, you can find your pride getting in the way as a huge obstacle. Uh, Iris Murdoch called it our, our fat, relentless ego. Our fat, relentless ego gets sidelined by our humility. It produces so many, uh, our pride produces so many conflicts because it has something to prove. It, not, it, it must win, it must never back down, it must always have the, have the last word, not just be good, but always be better than somebody else in every relationship and situation. Otherwise, uh, pride is unhappy. Pride protests. Humility makes room for us able to, to be able to love. Okay, shifting now on prevent toward, to preventing conflict. Uh, <clears throat> what to avoid? Uh, certainly we need to avoid sinful anger. How you deal with your own anger will have a lot to do with the shape of your life. Actually, how you have already learned to deal with your own anger has a lot to do with the shape that your life has already had. That is, how you deal with your anger has had a big mark on on your life up until this time. Paul's short message on anger is in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't make room for the devil. That doesn't say never be angry, but it speaks of the danger of anger being allowed to ferment and to molder and suggest that the need for forgiveness at least has to start as a process before sunset. If it's uh, something that's, that's against you that needs forgiveness, uh, need to be careful of that. The need to be careful for anger is expanded all over the place in the scripture, especially in the wisdom literature. Uh, related warnings uh, about not having too short a fuse, to be quick to express anger. The vexation of the fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. That means ignores an insult altogether. The prudent person ignores an insult altogether, doesn't feel the obligation to fire back, to retaliate, to get even, to, to uh, re-attack. So you can be prickly, forcing other people to walk on eggs around you or to expect a fight. And some people develop a power by being very prickly, by having people afraid of them. Oh, mustn't... I mustn't say anything that he doesn't want to hear or she doesn't want to hear because I'll get blasted back for it so you walk gently on eggs around them. Or those with good sense are slow to anger and it is their glory to overlook an offense. That's interesting. It's their glory to overlook an offense. That's Proverbs 19.11. Of course, it also bears on the wider social reality. Those who are hot-tempered stir up strife, but those who are slow to anger calm contention. I mean, that's a more general picture. So you are a better peacemaker if your fuse is not too short. Uh, then there's the interaction between love and anger. That love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4.8 Not all sins, but it may be that the more love you have for someone, the more of their sins it will cover. That's what one hopes for within marriage. And that hopefully works out in marriage. Uh, <clears throat> and the fewer of someone's sins will bug you. As we think of, uh, of conflict prevention, listen to Proverbs 17:14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so stop before the quarrel breaks out. 
This is like you make a break in a dam or a dike or something like that, and water starts running out through soft ground, and what happens? Uh, the longer it runs, the bigger the hole in the dam. Uh, the more water, the harder it is to stop. Or when dealing with another person who's already angry, Proverbs 30-33, for as pressing, I love the concreteness of the book of Proverbs, for as pressing milk produces curds, and pressing the nose produces blood, so pressing anger produces strife. Great, I mean, it's, it's awesome, the word of God being so concrete. This gets you thinking about times that you've gotten whacked in the nose and have a good solid nosebleed. It's not a time when you especially feel like having a reasonable conversation and peaceful conversation with whoever belted you in the nose. Um, so don't expect sympathy or logic with someone who's already angry. Give them space if you possibly can. Now, that's not always possibly true. My, one of my sons is a state policeman, and he doesn't find that always true. But, but uh, uh, it's, it's to everybody's advantage to, to wait till someone calms down if you can. <clears throat> Anything, another thing to avoid which relates to anger is legalism. Legalism can put all kinds of uh, obstacles in the way that don't need to be there. Putting our own culture and our culture's rules, loyalties, traditions up beside, I mentioned this this morning, uh, up beside uh, the rules of the New Testament. Um, like I mentioned this this morning, Francis Schaeffer talked about two ways to destroy the Bible. One, subtracting from what it says and the other adding to what it says and we add our traditions and our loyalties and so on that aren't in the Bible but we lift them up to being of similar uh, authority in our mind and, and, and in, our, in our thinking and in our community with the others that's how we get in trouble and we end up destroying the Bible by doing that because we undermine its basic authority by relativizing it down to the, the authority of our traditions and we make unnecessary places of conflict with people because of them People with good intentions uh, sometimes get confused with God's authority, uh, and w- with their traditions, with God's revelation, and, and can lead to lots of dif- disagreements, I think, between generations, particularly with uh, teenagers coming up. Um, more things to fight about. Why should I do this? Is this really necessary for me to do? God's people make have made moral issues out of hair length, hair color, makeup, styles of music, exactly what can be eaten or drunk, by whom, where, under what occasion. And so all things that aren't actually in the scriptures. Uh, and, and churches have split, families have divided, young people have left the home and left faith over things that should never have been actually issues at all. And, and so the, the form and freedom of the scripture is often really... Distorted. Romans 14 is a good chapter to read with this in mind, where it talks about the things that are not, uh, that, that we can disagree on. Uh, I've had uh, made some quotes of Romans 14 at times. Let each one make up his own mind. Uh, and I have people, say, people tell me, that's not in the Bible. Well, actually it is. It's right in Romans 14. Let each one make up his own mind. It's right in the Bible. Because on all sorts of things, we need to let people make up their mind. We don't need to charge in and tell them how they've got to live their life. Conflict evasion. Think income taxes. Um, Conflict prevention is one thing. Conflict evasion is another. Uh, Again, think of your income tax. You can... um, you get used to filling out our IRS forms in, in, in early April, maybe even wonderfully earlier than that. Uh, you are allowed tax avoidance. Tax avoidance is just fine. 
That's deciding whether we decide to farm, form a, a joint return or, a, or a separate returns individually in a, in a marriage. How you record all sorts of different uh, variables in your own economic uh, situation, and you can you're allowed a lot of freedom, and you can have, you can do tax avoidance, um, but um, or but but if you do what they call tax evasion, you can end up inside. You can end up in going to prison for tax evasion, and that's a very big difference. That's when you do not report taxable income. And, and again, that can be a very nasty, uh, have very nasty consequences. Um, some, my point is, some conflicts can be wonderfully avoided and therefore prevented. Some other conflict needs to be put in the light of day and dealt with. If not, it's conflict evasion, and it will come back worse when you don't expect it. Not under your timing. It'll be bigger, and it won't be in your timing framework when it comes up if you've avoided it. Uh, so it'll be worse and, and, and unexpected. Uh, when important differences between people loom and make conflict actually inevitable, we have to face them. Uh, conflict is sometimes necessary, and we must not evade it. Uh, a classic tragic example of this internationally would be Neville Chamberlain who marched away with wonderful smiles from meeting with Hitler in, what is it, 1938-1939, having established that Hitler was, all his motives were peaceful, he wasn't having a military buildup or anything. And he just made room and made time for Hitler to complete uh, building a whole air force, the biggest air force in the world, and, and, uh, and, and make the World War II a much worse war than it would have needed to become. Uh, Jeremiah would have said if he had been around in the late 1930s, peace, peace when there is no peace. And, and, and uh, um, for us, conflict, though, can seem threatening. Well, again, we're very different from each other. For some people, conflict can be, yes, this will make my day. Uh, for, for other people, conflict will say, no, I'm out of here. I'm through the door and I won't do it. I won't face it. I won't touch it. So I don't do conflict. I've had people tell me that. I don't do conflict. I don't do rebuke. I, I don't do that. Well, you know, that's really... God puts us in places where we have to do that sometimes. Uh, and and it, it becomes conflict evasion. Jesus warns, you look at the first, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, the, the letters to the seven churches. Jesus warns the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 against conflict evasion because they haven't done church discipline that they ought to do. And if they don't do it, he's going to take away their lampstand and take away the legitimacy of their status as a church of Jesus Christ. Uh, It means they have to stand up and deal with conflict. Messy, messy conflict uh, that offends people. It's difficult. I remember a... um, girl in our church in London uh, came to me um, and uh, well she, she had uh, started her last year in high school and she absolutely hated it but she knew that her mother would not let her drop out she couldn't face the conflict with her mother so she came to me in June of the academic year Do you understand what that means? June of the academic year, which started in September. She comes to me in June of the academic year, having skipped the entire 
year without telling her mother, forging papers, forging letters, faking telephone calls, hiding out in her friend's house each day. Uh, she comes to me as her pastor, and she says, I have to finally tell my mother, because I can't get out of this. She's going to find out. And I want you to be there so she doesn't kill me. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, well, uh, they both survived, and I was glad that I was there. Uh, but this is not, this is evasion, and this is not the way to deal with conflict. This just isn't the way to do it, because then you've got something huge to deal with. Huge to deal with. Uh, she got a sort of peace for about nine months, but boy, uh, what she had to deal with after that, because you only do that, as you could tell from the story, with thousands of lies. Thousands. What does that do to a relationship over nine months of time? Lies. More and more and more lies. Lies about phone calls. Lies about letters. Fake letters to her going both ways. Uh, Some real genius behind it. I mean, I can't (laughs) help but but uh, say, wow. I wouldn't have thought she could pull this off. But 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 trust just tanks. Trust is destroyed. Think of our, our presidents with the scandals that they've had brewing, ending up with Watergate, Monica Gate, whatever. Much, much worse for them and for the country than if they'd admitted right away that they'd made these mistakes. Moral mistakes, lousy mistakes, dishonest mistakes that shouldn't have made, but put them on the table and say, I did it, I'm sorry. But no, you don't. You run, you, you hide, you try, you try and fake it, and you end up with something much more serious, much more damaging to the country, much more damaging to them and their careers. I remember a conversation I had with a Christian businessman who surprised me. He said, I've been, the board of, uh, I've been on the boards of several Christian organizations and on a number of secular boards as well, and I'm finished with working with Christian organizations. I'm not going to ever take a job on the board of a Christian organization again. And I said, really? Why? Tell me about why. I'm interested. And she, he said, in the secular institutions, this is not all of them, but all of them that he'd been involved in, okay, um, someone isn't doing the job right, you sit down with them, you try to help them, you keep on trying to help them. Uh, if it still doesn't work, you sit down with them again and tell them, you, you've got to look for another job. This job does not suit you, your gifts don't meet. It, this job, tears, difficulty, anger maybe. Uh, but after a couple of years, those people come back to me and say, thank you for firing me. Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I wasn't doing well. And now I find something, I found uh, what, what I really need, a much better job for me anyway. That, that was the paradigm he saw in a, in, in a secular... Obviously, that's not what always happens. But, but that was his experience. Uh, in a Christian organization, by comparison, um, someone isn't doing the job right, and everybody has to be supportive. No one feels the obligation to be honest about their failure. So there's no honesty. There's no naming of the failure. Nobody is really confronted with failure. They're given a horizontal promotion. Some of you know very much what that is. <laughs> nodding of heads. Uh, a job into something that isn't really necessary, uh, uh, but where they can cause less trouble. Uh, everybody's confused because nothing is really working well, and, and the whole organization limps on. Uh, well, that's conflict evasion. Uh, and he, he, he said he'd had enough of that. He said Christian organizations that he'd been in were irre- irretrievably committed to that sort of pattern. So he said, I, I can't, I'm not going to be part of that. Uh, this is the evasion of conflict because honesty is relationally threatening. Uh, the whole organization suffers, so evasion and prevention of conflict 
are not the same thing. Evasion means postponement of a conflict and preparing for something worse. Uh, <clears throat> the Christian virtue, I should say here, is, is the Christian virtue is not niceness, but it's love. Niceness and love are not the same thing. Love is sometimes very costly. Sometimes risks pain, risks conflict for telling the truth, for getting the truth on the table. Um, and again, people are very different. Some people say it makes my day uh, to have conflict. Other person will run uh, a mile. Um, to positively prevent conflict, how do you do it? Uh, I certainly don't, can't, don't have a way of doing it every time, but it's, it's so general, it's to live the Christian life. Uh, but there are pressure points. I'll, I'll just mention some pressure points here that have struck me. Uh, one pressure point is keeping commitments. One thing is, is realizing we've made a commitment, or we've talked about a vow sometime earlier in the time here together, making vows to each other. Uh, we make promises, vows, oaths, or just give our word or shake hands and promise something casually. And then later, maybe a lot later, we kind of forget what we promised. We kind of forget what we talked about. Um, we don't remember much of what the promise was. Or maybe our promise was unrealistic and we kind of knew it then, but we didn't think much about it. Maybe the circumstances have changed. Maybe it was a long, long time ago and everybody knows that promises don't, you know, you don't hold them for a long, long time. Uh, but people who do legal me mediation with conflict resolution say that this is very high in their list of conflicts that go all the way to mediation or to litigation uh, is, is uh, misunderstanding of promises. Because what, what happens to the other person is, is they experience your fuzziness about, about your promise as betrayal. You promised. Uh, it's, it's close to, a, uh, so to what they see as a straightforward lie. But you agreed. Yes, but you said. I thought we all agreed. But you said you would pay for. Or, and, 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 and conflict has come, and you thought, oh, yeah, it's a long time ago. But, but that's, that, that's a, a great setup. So remember what we watch out for making promises, vows. The Bible warns against making big vows. He says, go find the person quickly and get out of it. Uh, and, 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 un, and bail out, pay your way out of it, whatever. Uh, we should be cautious about making promises, big and small. Uh, especially if they're unwise to go into them. But if we do make them, we must really try to keep them and honor them. The biggest one, of course, is marriage, which is a really big one. Uh, and, but there, there are others as well that we need to really take seriously. Those who fear the Lord will, we're told in Psalm 15, will stand by their oath even to their hurt. That's a wonderful verse. Psalm 15, verse 4. Remember that. They will, they, those who fear the Lord will stand by their oath even to their hurt. In other words, the conditions change that are different from when they promised the oath. And fulfilling it is much harder to do now that the conditions have changed. I didn't realize it would be this hard when I made this promise, but the conditions have changed, and what do you do? It, it says, stand by their oath even to their own hurt. Uh, I've so often heard, oh, I had lots of friends say they would help me when I moved. But on the day of the move, Alas, it was a beautiful day, and people could find out all sorts of other things that they needed to do, uh, and didn't show up to help me move my furniture, refrigerator, or whatever. I remembered what they they, they suddenly, suddenly remembered other things they had to do. Um, the vast biblical theme also is the power of the tongue for good and evil. Death, I think I quoted this this morning, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Um, it's obviously a huge role in creating conflict and avoiding conflict and resolving conflict. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives an all-embracing direction, which is to me a fascinating one, uh, for the positive use of language in Ephesians 4, verse 29. He says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Think of that as three criteria for what should come out of our mouths. Uh, I'll look at each three, each of the three for, for a second. Uh, building up, it's the word, same word to build a house, to, to edify, to build something up, to construct something. Uh, it means not lying or flattering, but encouraging out of love and concern. Hebrews 10, we're meant to provoke people to love and good works. Uh, tremendous role for teaching here. Think of what our, our words can be used to build people up, to build up their capacity, their capability, their self-confidence, their uh, confidence in God and God's love. We can do a huge amount of, can be done with language, can be done with words. Uh, the second is that it fits the occasion. This has less to do with etiquette and more to do with just sensitivity to the person you're talking to. To do that, we need to listen well. How else will you know? what's fitting to the occasion if you don't listen. We need also to be humble, uh, to not use this conversation as a means of establishing my power uh, or admiration for me. Uh, gossip is never fitting to the occasion, because it's gossip. Uh, what is often fitting is saying nothing. Silence is highly praised in the Bible. Uh, Speed may be against us too. If we're quick to speak, what we say may be less fitting. We may be uh, admired for our wit, but we're liable to, uh, to dig ourselves a deeper hole and, and make uh, and make more uh, and, and, and um, say things inappropriate. The mind of the righteous ponders how to answer. Quickness may impress people, but be harder on relationships. Lastly, language ought to give grace. It's build up to a point that fits the occasion and to, uh, to give grace. Words can so easily communicate worthlessness, inadequacy, insignificant guilt, insignificance and guilt. In other words, nothing about grace there, but just out of, out about one's own inadequacy. To use, to use words to give grace ultimately means that uh, we need to help people see themselves as those who have, or at least could receive, God's grace as a gift. We may say or do, or even in a small way, contribute to a person seeing the grace of God as believable. A good word, a kind word, a cheerful word, whatever. All this would contribute to the prevention of conflict. <coughs> Expectations are another that links to to vows in a way, but expectations can be communicated in ways less explicit than vows, so we don't even know uh, as clearly what we've actually led someone, someone to expect, uh, as obviously as when we've made a promise. Uh, <clears throat> I've been intrigued by speaking to our students, our Labrie students, um, and how often the conflict they unearth in our tutor tutoring sessions, um, very often the conflict is coming from 
different expectations. I had different expectations with so-and-so, with my parents, with my roommate, with my friend, with my whatever. Uh, you live inside different heads. Uh, when those realities in one head and another actually collide, uh, it, uh, in the real world, outside our heads, it's sometimes a real conflict. You can have certain expectations for my behavior, my use of time, my use of money, my commitment to you, my willingness to help you, but that doesn't match my expectations of what I, what I plan to do or have ever planned to do. Uh, some clash of expectations is inevitable and may exist uh, despite our best efforts to clarify them. Uh, parents and teenage children have been known to have trouble getting their expectations on the same page uh, as each other, parents to children. Uh, freedoms and responsibilities, and that, that is, this means they need to be really talked about. I mean, we talked to our kids and, uh, as they were coming into adolescence. We believe God holds us responsible to make you walk out, be able to walk out of this home by the age of time you're 18 as a responsible person able to function in society. We want to give you freedoms that will lead you to that incrementally a, a, a bit at a time as we go. And, and we want your help to know what those are, what you feel you need, and to have a schedule of what, what comes first, what comes next. Uh, what, if you fail in certain things, what happens then? But to get the whole thing on the table, find out what's, what is important to them, what means a lot to them, to, 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 to clarify it. So you get it on the table and, and, uh, and talk about it. Re-talk about it when things recalibrate, whatever. Uh, it, it isn't, these things aren't, mustn't be set in concrete. Um, it's extraordinary to me what expectations people can have of each other without clarifying uh, any of them. Even in romantic relationships, going into marriage. You mean to say that you don't plan to stay at home with children? And they're already married. Okay? Or you mean, you mean to say that you want to have children? And they're already married. And they haven't talked about this. Uh, but you never said that we, that, that we could not have my parents on our vacation. <laughs> so... Uh, so the longer you evade conflict, the worse it will get. The farther apart the expectations uh, can drift. Because uh, motivation for evasion is the fear of conflict, and it leads you to not be willing to talk honestly about it, because it might just explode. One way to not establish clear expectations is to make a habit of hinting. Have you ever heard of hinting? Uh, good, a good thing to really avoid if we want to avoid conflict. Uh, hinting is a coward's communication, and it's likely to cause unnecessary conflict. Uh, it's most tempting when you need to reprove someone to tell them what they, what they need to do a bit differently, but you don't really want to risk the conflict of being honest. So you hint. You drop a hint. In the interesting term, we drop a hint. Uh, that they might do things a little bit differently, but only a hint, not telling it straight. Uh, maybe it was a story about someone else in a similar situation. A friend of mine used to, whatever, if they take offense, you can always beat a retreat saying, Who, I didn't mean that, I didn't mean that, what you thought I meant at all. Uh, uh, if they don't get the hint, well, it's their fault. They were too obscure, too dense, or whatever, to, to pick up your clear walking in the truth with them. Um, and they're so thick they didn't get it. Um, when you actually actually you have said nothing you've made nothing clear uh, 
uh, you've just taken a coward's escape. So you see, clarity and honesty must risk conflict, uh, but will assure less conflict uh, longer term. And trust of the, and the coward's evasion is really a false trust. Humor can be a wonderful diffuser of conflict with careful reservations on this. It's got to be humor with someone who you really know uh, well enough to know what they will see to be humorous and what they won't. Because um, it can risk, you can risk insulting people by your joke if you don't know how they take humor. Um, can, uh, what makes one person laugh can make another person furious or deeply hurt as well. He thinks you're laughing at them. I sometimes joke myself at uh, our own family growing up, three lads, a wife and three guys. Uh, I sometimes sort of joke saying, without humor, I think at least one or two of us would have ended up dead or in federal prison. <laughs> not sure. I'm not absolutely sure about that. But, but, but uh, I, humor can be a huge diffuser if you know the person and know what they can handle and what they don't, can't handle and know how it works. But for us, it somehow uh, was a great uh, way around uh, what would have been conflict. Um, again, the overall, there's an overall theme here uh, for love and love leading to honesty. Remember, our theme is, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. We've been thinking of the proactive side. Um, to prevent conflict. Uh, we will not prevent all conflict, and there's the, the tools that God has given us uh, to deal with conflict when it comes, but it's worth investing, I think, in the, in, the, um, in the early peacemaking of trying to avoid, because really I've said nothing but what isn't just normal Christian life uh, and what we ought to be aware of as we interact with each other here. So let me end there and throw it open for discussion. We've got, I think, 20 minutes-ish or so. And um, over to you. Who wants to, to uh, put some things on the table? Some of this I must have uh, found, a, found a, a place in your experience. Yes? One of the things I really appreciated when you talked about your niceness is not love. And so many times as Christians we try to avoid conflict, avoid upsetting people by essentially what you talked about in the job thing about lying. You know, so we don't tell them they're not stepping up, we don't tell them not doing it. And so essentially I think as we believe we are being nice, we are saying to the other person because we're not being honest as we need you to love. And our attempts at being supportive are really very detrimental yep. and telling what God wants of us. Mm. But it's, it's it's hard to get yourself to see that being nice is sin. <laughs> Christians are nice. Well, I've been trying to be. We don't act like that in the South. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, I won't ever raise that again down here. <laughs> oh gosh. Yes. Any other things that we'd like to raise and, and kick around because it's it's, a, it's an intriguing. Yes. I, I think it's interesting too that. Touching on what's already been shared, that that niceness is more about protecting us than yeah. about helping the other person. Yeah, totally. It's really leaving the other person to fend for themselves, really, and, and, and without any help at all. Yeah. 
That's really true. And yeah. Yeah, that's right. But so much, a lot has we two two topics we often deal with in conferences. I did in the first conference, the first lecture, all of life and the Lordship of Christ. The other thing we deal with in most conferences is that living in the shadow of the fallen world. We give us again, again, and again, again, because that we don't have a grip on that as Christians and the fallenness of the world, and that it's it's a. It, it's abnormal for sin to come into this world, but, but now that it's here, it's, it's normal reality that we have to live in. And we have to accept that and live in the light of it rather than to be shocked and horrified by it when it blindsides us. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. We think, oh, if only one thing, everything in my life would fit together entirely if one thing was different. Uh, and and um, it wouldn't. Anyway, yes? Uh, one other thing that comes to mind in this topic um, the parable of the ungrateful servant, and when I'm weighing potentially starting or continuing a conflict, how many ways am I the ungrateful servant? Forgiven much and yet not. It's, it's getting yeah. something much, much lesser in importance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's, I mean, the way Jesus words it, you know, the what we've received from God in the way of forgiveness is so much weightier than what we will ever have to deal with in somebody else. Um, that, that, uh, that that forgiveness or should move us and, and, uh, and, and should enable us to, uh, to be able to move more. The reality of forgiveness is a different, it's, a, it's another whole topic, which is a huge one, a vast one. And, and, but we, we are forever dealing with that, I think. Um, because that's, that's very, very, uh, it's partly confusing because it's, there's so many things that people think is forgiveness but are not forgiveness. Like, forgiving is not excusing. Uh, key, key that forgiveness isn't excusing. Forgiveness begins only when excuses leave off. When excuses, when, forgiveness begin, begins only when things are inexcusable. So forgiving is necessary when there's real wrong done, real injustice done, real malice as opposed to accidents that happen and can be excused. Forgiveness doesn't mean retrusting either. Uh, that's a totally different process. We can forgive without retrusting. We'd be idiots to retrust some people. Uh, and, and, and we're not required by God to where we are required to forgive them. So there's a huge amount of misunderstanding what forgiveness is. And, and people not forgiving because they think it involves something that the, for them would be impossible. And it would. It, would be, it, it can't. You can anyway. So, so it's a that, that's a huge issue that's that's a whole with another whole method lectures. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, other things. Yes. Um, do you have anything to say specifically to being the mediator? Um, because I, you know, ran into this as a taking the same church, reading the Bible study, and, and they wanted, some people wanted to conduct it more like a Matin service, and some wanted a good old-fashioned prayer meeting, and um, to try to keep everybody happy as a mediator. Well, what do you have to think of that? Yeah, there's no, there's no one. I mean, it depends so much on what kind of thing we're mediating, isn't it? Uh, and whether it's a marriage, people, marriage, trying to resolve 
uh, a, a conflict between two people that's a complex uh, thing um, or, or what uh, it's uh, it, it depends on is, is there is there real conflict in this relationship already or or is it just two, two different opinions? I think opinion it was just different people wanting their own life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's no. I, I certainly don't have an answer. An answer. Answer. But but I, I find it helpful to ask as many questions as you can to get. What do you? Okay. Here we are. The people on this side of the table want uh, a Bible study. The people on this side of the table want something different. How how should we do this? How do you think this should happen? Uh, get them to try and draw people into the creative resolution of how we could do this. When we have two different views here, what, what can we do? And, and uh, that puts the ball in their court. It makes them experience. Uh, you want both sides to experience something of the absurdity of them them being able to stand and bend. What my way is the way, so what's going to work. My way is going to happen. You want them to to. Uh, uh, see through that, be disenchanted with their own demands, uh, and, and uh, I, I would try and push as much as I could into their uh, in, in, into their laps uh, in a thing like that. Now it's totally different if you have just a big, uh, a, a very a, let's say a violent conflict. You've got to take apart what is the, what is uh, what is going on, why, how, and again. Uh, as I said, with, with the tools of, and this takes really some time and more of a counseling sort of relationship, but if you have the tools that God has given us of confession, forgiveness, and reproof, there's something for each person to do in a conflict. There will be some move that they should make if they bring this unto God when you have a little conflict between people. It's not just that it's all going to be on one side. There will be, be something for each person. And, and getting them try to lead them to see what their move is is <clears throat> is important but hard to do and takes some time and and takes the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and so on. Uh, but 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 there's a lot I think one can do uh, with a, a biblical view of communication. I worked with a guy as a counselor who would say, with God's tools of communication this is dealing with marriage counseling. Nothing is so bad that it should break up the marriage. Adultery, attempted murder, it's okay, we can deal with that. I said, whoa. <laughs> um, but he was, he was do, used to doing that. And, 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 uh, but, but because the, the terms of God, the, the tools of God gives are, are not just for little sins, not just for respectable things, but for big things. Uh, and and uh, so with those, we have very, very powerful tools, I think, uh, uh, under God. Yeah, because yeah, they've got to wear it. They've got to own it and feel the, dis, the, the inappropriateness of them of one of them just forcing the whole uh, thing. I mean, you, you may just get the, the both argue, both sides arguing, uh, but but then you have to say, okay, you've had these arguments. What do we do now? Uh, and uh, is there a way that is there any way that you can uh, do both? Combine both. Uh, is there any way that is there anything in your both sides that you can agree on? Uh, and I don't know. Is it? I, I'm a great believer in, in finding questions to ask 
when you get in a situation where you're you're in an impasse, to, to the other alternative would be a direct head-on challenge to them because that's that's least likely to be fruitful. You, you don't have as a leader, you don't want to take sides. You want to stay Yeah, although you may have to, but you want everybody in the game. If you just you and know, you don't want people to leave the group. That's right. Yeah, and so I think postponing. Putting things off that you you might let's decide this much. For, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about uh, without a hypothetical situation to, to, to deal with, really. But but uh, I, I think Sarah is right to, to not try and make the whole decision right now. Let's say how much can we do? How much can we decide now? How much can we work out now? But uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, uh, I'm glad there's some people at home that's their full-time job to be mediators because that's a, it's a trick. It's a order. Yes. On the subject of mediation, when is it appropriate as a Christian to enter into someone else's conflict? Yeah. Wow. That's a good question. I, uh, a big thing depends on when we're asked. I'm presuming that you're not yet being asked. I mean, or the hypothetical situation you're thinking of. Um, Well, you know, I think there's a lot of variables. To me, uh, how close are you to this conflict? How much is it your responsibility, your friendships, your family members, your... I mean, or is it just someone uh, it, you it, scarcely know at all? Uh, it, it's in view, but it's not, it's not next door neighbor. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, then that's a judgment of how much is this my responsibility? Is, is this something that... Uh, how, how destructive is it becoming? I mean, if it involves, if it already involves physical violence, you better move it. <laughs> you better go in and, and try and see to it. Uh, how close is it to something that's really destructive? Uh, and and uh, yeah, I, I would ask questions. I would say, you know, what 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 is? Hey, what's going on? They may tell you to get lost. What do you do? What, it's not none of your business. Get lost. And that, at least for a while, is, is your answer. But maybe not for very long, if you see it, just that they're not resolving it. Uh, and then you can just say, I, I think uh, you're locked into this. I, I might be able to help you resolve it, something, or something to that effect. Or, or uh, try and... Try and Oftentimes, you know what you're. You listen to. If you get to listen to the, to the conflict, you can see that they're, they're sailing straight past each other. They don't understand each other. There, I, I've been in one situation like that. It's very, very heated, very difficult. And I said, they would. They said, wait a minute, stop, stop. This is what you are saying. This is what you are saying. They're not saying this. You're not saying that. And they, they realized they weren't. And and uh, uh, they, they were able to see that. I was. We're sitting at a table together and discussing serious things, so it wasn't out of place to do that. Uh, but a lot depends on just what your relationship is like, what, how much freedom you have to, to step in and, and do that. And, and obviously, the more humble and gentle you are, the more permission you may get, uh, depending on where they're coming from. Uh, but I, I think that's hard. So, and it's agonizing because you can see, look at what they're doing to each other. And uh, you can see where they're making mistakes or something like that, and, and to just uh, 
to offer your services can be can, can be really a good thing to do. Yes. Uh, on that topic, there's a great proverb about uh, someone who enters a conflict that's not their own is like taking a dog by the ears. You know that proverb? <laughs> it's a really funny proverb. Yeah. But uh, I was asking, uh, you know, you said that it's uh, the glory of someone to overlook an offense. Can you kind of talk about what a di- maybe an internal diagnostic would be to when I should overlook something or when I really need to yeah. say something? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of have an idea, but I'm very confident about it, so I'm just curious as to how you would... Yeah, that's a very good question too, isn't it? Cause, because obviously that doesn't mean all conflicts, you know, or all offenses. You just run away and hide whatever offense someone has given you. And yet, I don't know. I, and here I, I, I have no great answer, but I, I, I try to think, what is at stake here? Is this my pride? Is someone stamping around in the flower garden with my pride? In which case, hey, it's not worth it. It's just my, me defending my pride, my self-image. Uh, uh, I, I've never, I think, gone up to someone and said, listen, you've hurt my feelings. Um, that, a lot of people have, and it's probably the right thing for them to have said, uh, but I would never say that. I'd say, no big deal. No, uh, my feelings have been hurt before. I'll get over it. Uh, unless I think, unless I think that, as, as sometimes is the case, there's an issue behind that that they really do have something to raise. They have a difference with me about something that I that I need to see. Hey, there's something going on here. They're not just insulting me out of the blue because they like to insult me. Or if they're demeaning you, I mean, I think that would be a case too, where. I mean, yeah. Like fundamentally, as a as a person, you know, there's. That you're not just a doormat or whatever. Yeah, and, and yet, I mean, we can be insults. I, 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 I like to not take too seriously uh, people just scoring points off me or saying stupid things that I that, that are maybe hurtful. I think, well, whatever. Uh, but if there's something behind it, I think that's more important. I think uh, I'd want to say, listen, what, what's the deal here? What, what, what are we talking about? Uh, but that's a that, that's a very uh, delicate thing to determine uh, what, what, when something is in order and when it isn't. Uh, but I, I, I sort of think if it's just my pride at stake, my self-image for a while, uh, I'll get over it. It's no big deal. But if there's uh, a difference of opinion or difference of of, of, of uh, plan of what's going to happen, what isn't going to happen, or what's happening with someone else. Um, it, it has to be talked about. We have to sit down and talk about it. Uh, and, and so it's what is at stake here? What's at risk? What is it, what is uh, what has gone on? And, and how do we how do we look at it? Uh, but I, I tend to let it go. I'm, I'm conflict averse too. Uh, so I, I don't like conflict. I don't I don't go looking for for scraps. Uh, but but uh, I. I I, I also really don't like being. I, want, I try. I've always tried to avoid being too thin-skinned, you know, Sammy, by by uh, by being. Oh, I'm offended. Oh, that offends me. I say whatever. Uh, if it offends me, that may well do me good uh, and get me a bit thicker-skinned with it all. Because you know, it's it's uh, a lot of things like that just aren't 
very important. Uh, but but to, to determine what's underneath it is, is, is actually more important. But that, that's a hard it's a hard decision, I think. How are we doing time wise? Um, what is our one more question? Okay, yes. Uh, I've learned over the last couple of decades, ten decades, whatever it's been, uh, that when deciding whether or not to get involved, one is the authority or responsibility structure situation. If you're an elder in a church, you may well have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. The second is what is the severity or implications of the issue? Is it somebody who found out, actually had a date with somebody and told somebody else they didn't have a date? It depends on whether they just got engaged or not or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the third one is, maybe my favorite, unless I'm part of the problem or part of the solution, I don't get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's severity, the authority structure or responsibility structure, and whether or not I'm part of the problem or the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And, and uh, of course, whether I'm a part of the solution or not will depend on whether I step in or not. But, but, it's, but you're right in terms of whether who, what role do you function in in this, uh, in this relationship is important. I forgot to mention that that's certainly involved whether you're you may be the head of a firm or something like that. It means you can you need to respond quite differently than if you're it's just a friend or someone you see on the street. Uh, so there may be all sorts of things at stake there. So that's a wise condition as well. Yes. Well, I think we probably ought to end and make room for the. Thanks for listening. For more information and updates about future conferences. Sign up at nashvillelibreconference.com. Special thanks to the Rabbit Room Podcast Network for their know-how and hosting of this podcast. You can find their podcast network at rabbitroom.com. And a special thank you to my friend, Drew Miller, for providing the podcast music. You can find more about his upcoming albums, Desolation and Consolation, through his website, drewmillersongs.com.